0: loses control of the puck and goes to the far board. Here's Jarrell with a turnaround shot, deflected
1: to the backboard on the left side. Martin pokes it out in front. O'Shea, a shot and a goal! Welcome to A Shot and a Goal, part of the On The Air Podcast Network. Hi everyone, welcome to episode 45 of A Shot and a Goal, the podcast about hockey broadcasters. My name is Jake Baskin. Good to be with you on this Tuesday, the day after President's Day. The weekend before this past one, I got to call a couple of NA3HL games for Hockey TV between the Northeast Generals and the Danbury or Springfield Junior Tricks. It was really fun to get in the booth again and call the majority of a hockey game. This really was the first time I've been able to do play-by-play of the end of a sporting event since last March, and now I can add Alexi Kovalev to the list of star NHLers whose kids I've seen score goals. Peter Bondra is also on that list. Shout out to my fellow Dean Bulldogs, Brett Shavs, and Andrew Bluestein for joining me on the call for those games. I went back and looked through the archives of this podcast in hopes of finding every guest I've had in this show who I've met in person. I had a few in the early days of the podcast. John Walton, who I met at a game he was calling. Jeremy Skiba, who I attended college with. Matt Falkenbury, who I've seen at a few NWHL games. Rob Kennedy, I recorded the live interview with him. And then Seth Dussault, episode 18, he and I have worked games together. Obviously, COVID is a reason this list is so small. I was definitely hoping I'd at least record some in-person interviews with people geographically closer to me. But today, I can at least say that list grows to six. Tyler Arego and I had been connected on Twitter for a while when we decided to meet up in pretty much the midpoint of where we were both at the time, which was the city of Keene, New Hampshire. I've alluded to my time working at Keene High in the podcast before, and we actually met at an Applebee's in town and had lunch. This was February 20th of last year. Who would have guessed all that's happened in the time since? Tyler's just 22 and a recent graduate of Franklin Pierce University in New Hampshire, but, and I don't think I've sworn on this podcast before, he really knows his shit. This episode is a very long one, so I'm not going to dive too deep into his background. But let me just say, this guy has unrivaled passion for the hockey broadcasting industry and a knowledge of the history of the profession that, other than me, I don't see from too many other people close to my age. I really expect you'll hear him calling hockey at the professional level within the next couple years. I loved this interview, and I think he's a talented broadcaster who will only continue to improve. This is Tyler Arego on episode 45 of A Shot and a Goal. Puck comes free, Dunnegan ahead to Fisher, and now they might have a rush here, two on one. Fisher with
0: Campbell back, Dunnegan going to the net, Fisher scores! Nate Fisher has ended this game, and has ended the Eclipse losing streak. Four, three, with six tenths of a second to go. Nate Fisher coming through in the biggest way
1: possible. Hi, and welcome to episode 45 of A Shot and a Goal, part of the On The Air Podcast Network. Hard to believe it's been going this long, 45 episodes. With me today, another up-and-coming announcer and one who I believe will—one I believe has a very bright future, from the main eclipse, formerly of Franklin Pierce University, Tyler Arego. How's it going? Good, Jake. Thanks for having me on.
0: I'm super happy to be here.
1: The last time I saw you, we were at an Applebee's in Keene, New Hampshire, and this was before the pandemic hit for any people who might want to complain about that. A lot has happened since then. What have you been up to?
0: Well, I certainly remember that day. Uh, it was definitely uh, nice to be able to go out in public without a face covering on and to be able to sit across from somebody and be in a restaurant and all that good stuff. Uh, obviously, like you said, yeah, a lot changed since um but just trying to manage each day i I mean i graduated school still which was uh nice despite everything going on uh managed to accomplish that and a few months after was able to get uh, a job up in maine with the eclipse and that was really exciting uh didn't really know how that was going to pan out uh trying to work in a pandemic but managed to do that for a few months and now just back home in massachusetts and waiting for the next uh, the next opportunity to come up.
1: When did you decide you wanted to be a play-by-play announcer, and what made you want to?
0: I would say that, for me, uh, it was always something that I would do. I remember, like, as a kid, uh, when my brother and I would play video games downstairs, whether it was NHL or even something like Wii Sports. Uh, I always tried to act my little own. Uh, flair to it. So that's kind of where it started, but it didn't really become a thing for me until I decided where I was going to go to school. Uh, originally, I was just thinking of going into like basic journalism or communications. Um, didn't really have a, a keen interest on sports just yet, but my dad had come home one day from work and he often listens to whether it's 985 The Sports Hub or Wei. Um, he often listens to Boston Sports Radio, and he came across an ad for Franklin Pierce University. And at the time, it was a new major that they were introducing called Sports Media. And he basically just said, hey, it takes the journalism stuff that you want to do, and it incorporates it with sports, and obviously more than just writing about sports, but really all aspects and covering and talking about sports. And went up there for like the usual campus visit on like an open house. Uh, and just really thought that, hey, I think this is a place I can come and succeed at and really take a lot out of this major. And, uh, four years later now, I can look back and safely say that that was the right call. And and I'm glad that I ended up going and sticking with that major. Um, the love for the play by play really came once I committed to the major. I got to school that, um, I got to school in August and, um, Started right away, about a month later after I moved in my freshman year, I was able to get on a broadcast and kind of really see if this was something I could do, it was a field hockey game, I was the color commentator, I'll never forget it, and I don't know how good or bad it was, I never got a chance to go back and listen to it, but I knew after that I I realized the the confidence that I had, I, I actually felt pretty good about things, and uh, as my freshman year went along, that's when I started to really kind of gradually come into it and realize, hey, you know what, I, I think if I stick with this and work at it, this is something I can graduate and do. I feel the same way now four years later.
1: My first field hockey game was terrible, and they kept assigning me after that. <laughs> it's
0: a tough sport. It's it's one of those things. It, it's it's I like to call it a, a niche sport, I guess. It's not one of like the mainstream ones. So when they told me your first game is going to be field hockey, I, I had that same kind of feeling of like, oh boy, I better do my homework on this. And I'd love to go back some somehow and, and be able uh, to listen to it over again because, oh my God, I'm sure it was pretty bad. But then let it kind of stop me. I, I kept doing field hockey, started doing like soccer uh, as a color commentator. And eventually after a few soccer matches, I was able to do play-by-play for a men's game and that was my first attempt at play-by-play it was with soccer actually and it was something that you know, I might have in the past not have been able to confidently see is upon but I just told myself if this is something I'm going to try and major I, I have to I have to go for it I can't do any half measures with it uh, I have to see if it's something I can do if it's not if it, if it isn't, then we have to make a change but I, I figured out Pretty early on, that uh, this was something that I felt really confident I could find some way to, you know, make a career out of, make a living out of.
1: Was hockey always the sport you wanted to call primarily?
0: Oh, absolutely. I, I, I think once I got that initial confidence in me during our fall season, I, I was really eager about the yeah, I mean, upcoming winter season and getting a chance hockey. Played it as a kid, all the way through high school, um, and loved and loved every moment of that. And, and once I got to college, uh, you know, at some point you're going to come to that realization. Hey, <laughs> and I was fortunate enough that with the with the broadcasting, it was just straight, Like next sort of step for me to stay involved with the game, which, which I do love a lot. And I, I remember asking about it. Uh, we had a student-run group at Franklin Pierce Raven Sports Network, and I asked our director, uh, who at the time was was a senior, Robbie Sequeira, and, and I asked him about how hockey worked because our rink is about 15 minutes off campus. We're in southern New Hampshire, but we play in a town in Massachusetts called Wingington at up at the Wynchonton Prep School. And so it's off campus. It's winter. At hockey, you know, it doesn't really draw as much eyes as say basketball or football. or Even hockey, hockey is in of itself. When you talk about sports, hockey is, is right up there. So I knew that the opening was there, and all, I knew that all I had to do was just step up and ask about it, uh, inquire about it, and it was great. Uh, offered to to do color with me and help me out, drive drive kind of the rink to set things up, um, and it was uncon- uh, unconventional. I think is is the right word. Uh, the press box did not have stairs to it; we had to climb up a ladder. I remember that that was interesting. And the area of the press box in the rink was literally in the corner of the rink. So you had a very disadvantaged uh, sight line. But despite sort of everything, we got there and he trusted me to, to handle everything from a play by-play standpoint and again, like I, I think I, I went back I've been able to go back and sort of listen to some of my first few ones and I can definitely hear the, the timidness, uh, I can hear the nervousness. but when I go in now listen to my my junior year, my senior year, and even now currently, I, I feel and see a lot of progress, which gives me some confidence. And I just think none of that would have been possible if I never advocated for myself. If I never, you know, stepped up to the plate. And uh, and if Rob never trusted me either. And I'm glad he did. I'm glad that he was such a good partner. And and in the beginning, helped me out a ton with learning first how to even set up the broadcasting stuff. And then. From the actual aspect of of play by play calling, I and mean, he was he was great early on. So I was lucky. I was really lucky, uh, and but also opportunistic too. Can't can't count myself out there.
1: You mentioned the corner angle, and I worked a hockey game at Williams College last year. I don't want to say anything bad because I love the school. The program treats me well. Like they treat me great, but they put me in the corner when I called the game last year and I found it so hard to see the side of the ice where everything was happening because they were playing Middlebury and Middlebury was dominating. But how do you get used to, I guess, calling games from the corner where all the action's on the other side? Well, it
0: definitely poses challenges. And I'm someone with already – my eyesight, uh, my eyesight is not the sharpest. I oftentimes joke about it. Uh, I do wear glasses, uh, which is uh, a huge help because without them, I'm definitely, uh, I'm definitely in trouble. But it was, it was a good challenge. Uh, I learned very quickly in the beginning. And this was not something that I didn't know prior. I mean, anybody who's a fan of the game or has ever watched a hockey game, whether you're you know, just flipping through the channels and watch five minutes or you've been a fan for 25 years, it's, it's a fast game. And it's always sort of been a fast game, and you can argue now is the fastest it's even ever been. So it's a fast game. There's a lot going on. Uh, there's there's guys out there that are um, doing a lot of different things. Whether it's body checking, trying to get by defenders, so you've got to be you've got to be sharp with it. And basically, with a sight line like that, I learned right away the importance of of not being somebody who looks up and down too quickly uh, or too slowly at the line charts, the notes. I learned very quickly the importance of doing whatever I could to really get those things uh, in my head, whether it was you know names, pronunciations, numbers, to get those quick associations. So that way, when I'm trying to look into the far corner, I don't have to glance down or look down really quick and then pick my head back up and lose everything because it moves fast and you don't want to really miss uh, any of the action that that's going on out there. The There were some interesting moments my, my freshman and sophomore year. I, I owed our goalies a lot of apologies. There were definitely some instances where saves were not called saves. Uh, I definitely discredited some of our goalies, uh, but that always led to, to good laughs afterwards when they would go back and listen or if I would show them. So I always just kind of took it in stride. I, I I said that it's, you know, hey, it's something I can't control. I can't shift the press box. I can't, you know, make them build a uh, another one. We have to make it work, and um, I think over time, you get used to it, and uh, as a broadcaster, you know, if you're if you're growing and making that progress, you tend to notice that you're not looking down as much, you're not, you know, having to glance or even take extensive looks at your notes while the game is going on. You've got most of that all in your head already, and uh, you're able to just hold the play along as, as you can, but... I wouldn't change anything about that ring. I could go on and on, just the stories that I was able to have there. I mean, I'll, I miss it to this day. I, they would be playing right now. It's unfortunate with the uh, with COVID, obviously, that they won't be able to. But any, any day I got to be at that rink, even if I was calling a game from a pretty tough angle, they they always made it worth it with uh, with how I was treated there. A eh? and just the games itself, well, just a lot of good memories at the Jason Ritchie Ice Arena.
1: So let's talk about the Ravens Sports Network. My school, Dean College, has a fairly new but growing broadcasting program. That's why I ended up choosing it. You also went to a small school, a school whose only D1 team was women's hockey. So what was the setup there, TV, radio streaming? Were there other students there who wanted to do what you did? And what did you learn about the technical side of broadcasting from being at Franklin Pierce
0: we were set up on internet radio so it was um it was in the beginning set up as internet radio we have since switched to now it's a full-on streaming uh service the ne 10 the northeast 10 conference is the athletic conference that we participate in it's, you know ncaa division two and i believe it was my junior year so 2018-19 It was the fall of 2018, they had announced um, they were going to initiate their new streaming initiative called Any 10 Now, which was basically that every Any 10 school had to mandate um, you live stream your home, varsity, athletic games. But prior to that, we were internet radio, and we were using, uh, if I remember correctly, was Backbone Producer, and then On Air Display was the actual broadcasting software that would produce it out and you could listen via links that we had and then eventually we also got a station on TuneIn radio so if you had the tune in radio app you could look up raven sports network click on it and you hear either a live broadcast or one of the archive ones that we would have queued up for when we were not live and it was actually pretty simple to to figure out once you got you know the repetitions in of actually setting it up we used a Mac computer that had the broadcasting software on, uh, like standard audio board and mixer that you would run via USB to the Mac. It was very basic-oriented stuff, which I which I preferred. I mean, as a college student, could could really you know set it up and feel confident. You know, ninety-eight percent of the time that you were setting it up right. But basically, as students, you were responsible for. Being, you know, punctual for the broadcast, obviously, um, setting up the equipment. We were a separate entity from our athletic department, so you were responsible for getting down to, say, the field or the gym or the rink. Uh, with the equipment, you would have to sign it out from the um, RSN director. Um, you would sign it out. You'd take it to there was the soccer field or the, or the field house or off campus to the rink. You'd set it up. Um, you'd run a test for, for audio and things like that, and then you were really, you know, put the headset on and you were in. There was no real supervision. There was nobody over your shoulder, um, which I really enjoyed my freshman and sophomore year. Obviously, once we became um, an actual production, there was obviously way more supervision, and, and I also enjoyed that because it was nice to get that feel of being a part of an actual you know, live stream production. You have a producer telling you, you know, th- this, that, and the other thing. You had a replay monitor available. and Somebody, you know, a student worker was cutting replays. It definitely evolved over time into a much more sophisticated, you know, operation. I thought we always did a great job with it. Um, hockey, though, was always done via the radio. Um, and the problem with that was the live stream that Franklin Pierce Athletic Department provided did not include our audio. So we had a separate video feed and a separate audio feed. And that's always something that during my time bothered me. I I always tried to find a way to find, you know, to find a way to merge uh, our audio with with their video. It never amounted, but nonetheless, we were at every game. Uh, I committed myself to being at just about every possible home game that I could. For the playoffs, it was great. I know our parents were super appreciative because They actually would listen to our radio stream with the school's live stream of the playoff game going, so they pretty much had it synced up at the same time, but I remember just telling myself that, um, you know, whether it's one person listening, whether it's just my parents listening or several parents listening or a couple, you know, 50, 60, 70 students and a few parents, whoever it is, as long as I am, you know, putting the repetition, you know, putting the reps in and um, you know, more importantly, doing this for the team, the program, the athlete, but also like myself. That that was kind of how I you know wanted to go about being there because it is a small school, as you mentioned, and I knew that that opportunity was was there. I was lucky enough to not have really any competition. It really just allowed me to take it by the horns as a freshman and really just. Grow with it throughout my four years. I was really lucky as well to have tremendous, tremendous color commentators. Whether it was Robbie, my, my freshman year, uh, Sean Ellerton, a great friend of mine, um, who's working out in Minnesota right now, he was great. My my uh, freshman year as well, sophomore year, junior year, and senior year, Ezra Janello um, was was excellent as well, and I, I know he'll be listening, so I want to give him a shout out as well. But I I always felt that it was just a great environment for me to be in. It really allowed for me to get so much experience in and really by the end of my four years, being able to constantly say, Hey, I really feel good about this. You know, I know that it's, it's such a hard field to get into and, and God has, I could, I couldn't tell you how many times I've been told that, but being able to have that confidence, even with the pandemic going on and, and things sort of looking bleak at the moment, I still, for the most part, believe in my abilities on a daily basis. Uh, there are definitely some days where I can waver, but Franklin Pierce as a whole really gave me that chance to, and in Raven Sports Network, the whole major, the whole um, department that, that supported me, it gave me all the confidence in the world in my abilities, and I just try and carry that now going forward, and, and whether it's the main eclipse in the EHL or whatever is next as I try and move up the ladder, I'm always going to have that that believability in myself, and I don't think that I would have gotten that if I didn't get the repetitions and the experience to, to be on my own and figure this out at Franklin Pierce.
1: When you're a student, there's usually an increased emotional interest in the team's success just by virtue of being in many of these kids' classes and whatever how do you find the proper balance between being a fan and being a professional in the air?
0: I think that's always, uh, that's always something that you have to keep in mind. And, and one of the unique things about college athletics is exactly that. It's, these are kids that um, they put a lot into this, uh, all, all, just about really a professional, you know, level of, of whether it's, you know, the work ethic, the commitment, the, the, the team lifts, the, the off ice stuff, the off field stuff. I mean, there's just, there's so much that they put into it and, and they, and there's so much passion that they hold for it. But at the same time, they're also students just like you. They're, they're going through, you know, their academics and, and trying to, you know, pass their classes. And, and it's, a, it's a very tough thing to juggle. And you have that relationship with them, you know, away from their sport, which, which is, you know, something that I, I oftentimes enjoy because you don't get that obviously as a, when you're when you're a professional because that's just you know that's how it is. You're not going over to their to their dorms or their houses to, to hang out, you know, with, with David Pasternak or Tukarask as cool as that would be. But with that being said, there is that you know balance, and I think our athletes are always great. They always respected that, you know. Hey, these kids are you know they're doing this broadcasting stuff. They put in a lot of work too, just like we do, and they might say things that we disagree with but they're doing their job and they're trying to learn and, and just like we're trying to you know perform in our sport and perform well i think it's the same thing you know for a broadcaster you're trying to perform your duty to the best of your ability and sometimes the athletes they might disagree with you or they might hear something that um they don't like and my biggest thing was always to be accountable with it if if anybody ever did come up to me i always wanted to you know be straight up with them and have an explanation. And if they still didn't like it, then just sort of move on from it. There's nothing you can really do about it. I had actually a really fun. I look back at it now; it's more of a, a funny experience. But my partner and I, Ezra, had a podcast we did about the hockey teams. And I remember we were talking about our women's program. And our women's program is bolstered by by three unbelievable now senior players. Uh, it's Nicole mato Haley Parker, and Marissa Sorrow. And we were spending. A lot of time talking about Nicole and Haley, but Marissa, we weren't really talking too much about. And I remember saying something along the lines of, she can get lost in the shuffle sometimes, but that doesn't mean that she's not an impactful player. And I remember Marissa kind of took that maybe a little off the chin often as me saying maybe, you know, she's lost in the shuffle, you don't really notice her in comparison to the other two. But I remember like that sort of became like just sort of an inside joke that we had. I took it on the chin. I told her, obviously, hey, that wasn't you know what I was trying to say. She kind of cleared the air up. I, I never had any problems with our athletes, though. That was ever you know, malicious, I guess you could say. I always had a tremendous amount of respect for them, but when it did come time to to calling the game, if there was a you know if there was a bad goal let up, for example, you know, as much as I love our goalies and have a personal goalie bias myself at times because I used to be one, when a bad goal goes in a bad goal goes in obviously I don't try I don't lay into them uh, but you got to call it you know as you see it uh, and that's always what I would say uh, and that applies to any sport not just hockey but I-, I did probably have the most strongest off-ice connections with our hockey team uh both of them and I think both the men's and the women's programs always you know had a lot of appreciation for what I did uh and and I think the feeling was always you know they were happy to have me there, um, and I always felt the same way, and I just tried to repay that by delivering the best possible commentary I could, um, knowing, you know, I have a knowledge of this sport. Don't hold back to, you know, call it like you see it. You know, if, if there's a bad play, if the power play is not looking good, if, you know, a certain player is not performing to expectations, you know their trends, you know the systems, you know the game don't hesitate to sort of, you know, say what you, you believe, you know, we're, we're paid, oh, not paid, but we're there to, you know, commentate, analyze, you know, and, and deliver basically what's going on in front of us to people who are listening on the radio or are watching on a live stream. And one thing that I found out really quickly was that our athletes are more often or not supportive of us. Um, like 85, 90, 95% of the time, they're going to, you know, not take it to heart. And I, that was something I always appreciated. And I think it's, um, I think when you go to a small school, especially there's, there's going to be that more, you know, tighter knit connection because you see these people basically every day, cafeteria, class, library. So you, you definitely form those connections, but you don't let them get in the way of your overall commentary.
1: When you decided that play-by-play and hockey play-by-play was for you, who did you look at in terms of influencing your style?
0: I would say um, for me, the probably the all-timer would, would have to be Fred Cusick, and that's sort of an older name. But once this quarantine began, I, I found myself with – so many older highlights and older games being reshown, whether it was on Nesson or on YouTube. Um, I found myself listening to, to some older Bruins games from in between about 1988 and 1992 when they had a pretty good stretch there with Cam Neely and Ray Bork, and they went to two Stanley Cup finals. And uh, listening to Fred call call hockey, uh, it, it was just so therapeutic almost. Uh, and just... The natural way like it just almost felt the game and his voice were synonymous and I think a more modern day version you could say is Doc Emmerich obviously with his recent retirement it's almost unthinkable that there's an NHL season going on right now and, and Doc is not calling anything um obviously rightfully earned retirement he, he has been so involved for so long but I, I always kind of wanted to to be that voice where when you're when you're watching the game or when you're listening to the game it just sounds you know pleasant to listen to uh, I, I always just try and keep a nice steady sort of hand and I always felt Fred Cusick delivered on that uh, a very smooth game not too boisterous but when something happened whether it's you know Ray Bork scoring or Andy Moog making a big save he was able to, to nail that uh, perfect amount of inflection uh to stick with Boston and, and Dave Gosher uh is, is sort of one of my more modern day um influences uh I was definitely upset when he departed uh, the radio for, for Vegas but I've always said you know the Golden Knights uh, could not have picked a, a better you know a better option because I just think that his delivery again it, it's just like that voice is so it just feels right for the game and, and he calls it so smoothly but with that right amount of, of pace and inflection where when something you know big does happen, when there is a, a, a critical moment, uh, he's able to match it. And I, I think that's really one of the biggest things you have to do when you're calling a sport. Uh, any, any sport, but especially hockey. Uh, you, you have to have that sort of timing and that pacing with it because it moves fast and it has a lot of different ebbs and flows. And I, I think that's one of the reasons why I, I love calling it the most, honestly. it's It's just So much is going on. Uh, You can have a game going on a mile a minute or you could have a game that's way more of a defensive, you know, slower pace. And and I think either way, you have to be able to to match that uh, with your energy and with your voice. And I think both those two Boston uh, examples are are major influences for me. Johnny Forslund, too. I'll add him for a third one um, because I think he's just... uh, I know you're a Kenny Alberts fan, um, but I think both of them right now a great one-two punch for, for NBC Sports.
1: I'll let you know a secret. i interviewing John on Monday.
0: That is awesome. I'll I will definitely be listening into that because he's one of the he's one of the best in the biz. Uh, I always thought that even when when Doc was still uh, humming along. So I'm still, I'm looking forward to that interview because uh, he's had a heck of a career from from Hartford to Carolina. Definitely one of the best.
1: Yeah, going back to what you said earlier, I also have been watching a lot of games featuring old announcers. I'm a big Dan Kelly fan. I love Jiggs McDonald, Lloyd Pettit, who I named this podcast after. It's just so much fun to listen to how games were broadcast in previous generations, you know, without the score bug and all the graphics and whatever. Tim Ryan would be another one. I think it's really improved how I'm broadcasting, watching these old games.
0: I think that there's things that you can take from Uh, the old school approach, if you'll even even call it that. I think just, I feel like, and and I could be totally wrong. This is just kind of me speaking from experience. I know that they always might tell you that you have to emphasize something about you to to stand out. And I think there's some truth to that. But I think the biggest thing is just authenticity. And I always felt like the older, the old school broadcasters, I, I always felt that they were just their own. You knew what you were. You knew, you know, what to expect from from these local broadcasters. And I, I just think that the biggest thing I, I tried to do was just stick to myself. At the end of the day, I, I, I look up to people. I, I do try and incorporate, you know, different things and, and try new things, of course. But at the end of the day, I, I think my biggest takeaway from watching older hockey broadcasters is at the at, at the bottom line is just call the game. You know, don't get lost in in anything else, really. If you just put a lot of your energy into what the game is is telling you, basically, and if you're able to effectively, you know, describe and relay that, that's like 80% of the battle. I feel like maybe a lot of younger people think they have to have like a signature or have to sound a certain way when a goal goes in or a save is made. I mean, you can't force it, right? You, you, it's got to be natural and, and you can't really script it at the end of the day. You just have to be authentic to yourself and, and you know, give give yourself a chance because there can only really be one. There's only one Fred Cusick. There's only one Mike Emmerich. You can incorporate, you know, aspects of their style, but at the end of the day, you have to have your own. And I think that give that great lesson, those old-timers those those old, uh, those old, time abroad, those old
1: timers right there. You and I are in full agreement. How did you get the job with the main Eclipse, and what has that job been like through its stops and starts and all?
0: I actually had no idea that the Eastern Hockey League was even uh, expanding. I, I had known of the EHL through Franklin Pierce because it's a great feeder system for Division 3, and I say Division 2 because technically... Franklin Pierce we are, but obviously Division Two hockey, uh, in the men, in on the men's side of things is um, you know, it, it basically doesn't exist. The N E ten is really the only conference that I'm even aware of or know of that still sponsors it. So the EHL is, is, is a great theater system for those types of schools, you know, St Michael's in Vermont, St. Answem, by the way, Manchester, uh, Assumption College, or are they university now? I think they're Assumption University now. But uh, the EHL is uh, is one of those leagues, junior league, that really supplant those types of schools. And so I have familiarity with it from just, you know, calling games for Franklin Pierce. A lot of our own players come from there. So it was my partner, actually, uh, who had sent me along this link from their website that they were looking to hire um, a broadcaster, essentially, for this team in Biddeford, Maine. It was either that or a team out in New York called the New York Apple Corps and I just figured, well, a four hour drive to New York to call hockey doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. But the drive to Bitterford was about two and a half, so I had to rationalize to myself a two and a half hour drive. But I said, Ah, you know what? If it's to work with hockey and to and to get some experience in the midst of all this, I'll take a two and a half hour drive and so I, I sent an email out and um A phone call or two later and they had me up for two scrimmages that they had in mid-september um got to meet you know coaching staff and and everybody up there and they welcomed me right off the hop like i called two games and felt pretty good about it considering it was just my third and my second and my third game called since february so despite a pretty good layoff i was feeling good and after the scrimmages had ended uh, they off, they offered me the position and and had me sign the contract. So I was swept kind of in right off right off the jump, and it was it was great. I felt so relieved actually that hey, I'm gonna be working and making some money here doing this. Uh, it wasn't a lot of money, obviously, it was, uh, like getting 100 dollars for every game, and and fifty dollars for the extracurricular work that I would do outside of the broadcasting. And basically what the job was, was you're calling uh, EHL games and then EHLP games. So the premier division is basically the younger division and it acts as the feeder system for the older division. So it's kind of like a, a chain of command. It's all still tier three. The USPHL does the same thing. They have like their premier division. So it's all just about player development. But basically you're doing play-by-play broadcasting for those games that it streams onto hockey tv so the ehl has a great partnership with hockey tv and um, if you have the membership you can basically tune into any game any team uh it's pretty awesome to have to know that your games are 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 out there and easily accessible and that you know people are watching whether it's parents coaches um you know friends and family it's it was nice to know that hey There's actually people here, and and that only gives you more motivation to really deliver every every time. So that was really cool for me because, like I said with Franklin Pierce, we never really had a way to always know. Uh, That didn't obviously change anything from a broadcasting standpoint for me, but for this, it was definitely, and just from an archiving perspective, you could instantly get the games. It was really nice. But outside of all that with the broadcasting, it was, you know, Updating social media pre game, between the periods, post game. You know, conduct a quick player interview or two. Um, you know, just to have content because content's always you know king. It's always good to just post whether it's pictures, boomerang, quick interview. It gets you know a couple hundred likes. It gets you exposure. That's all they really wanted. Simple stuff. And uh, and then game recaps. You know, just updating the website, um, posting. You know, you know, game recaps and, um, you know, player news, you know, if a player won an award or was recognized for something, you know, star of the week or player of the month, you know, goalie of the month. So simple stuff like that, just sort of pumping out, like, announcements and game recaps. Uh, I, I felt that I was able to handle all of it. I, they, like I said, they weren't asking for anything, you know, complicated. And it was all stuff that Franklin Pierce prepared before working in our athletic department and being a part of the sports media major I always felt a little comfortable with different things outside of broadcasting and that's one thing that I feel like is repeated often and it's very true you, you have to be um, you have to be three-dimensional four-dimensional five-dimensional um, you have to be at least comfortable I'm not saying you have to be perfect and, and excel at everything because I don't <laughs> I'm the farthest thing from it um, and nobody is but the ability to say, Hey, yeah, I can handle, you know, writing, doing the write up for this game. I can handle, um, you know, interviewing a player or a coach. I can handle, um, you know, taking a quick video of warm ups and, and coming up with a caption and uploading it, you know, before the game. It's just simple stuff like that. Um, and I, and I thought it was great first, you know, first experience, uh, cause they didn't really overwhelm me. Um, and, and the quality of the hockey. Was, 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 good for, for an inaugural, you know, for a team making its inaugural season, um, happen, uh, during the pandemic, no less, you know, our, our players were great. Our coaches were great and it only lasted a few months, unfortunately, but the short time I was up there, the experience was invaluable and I, I absolutely loved it. The guys were great and, um, I wish I could go, I wish we could have gone back, but it's just with COVID, unfortunately, um, it just wasn't possible.
1: How have you been improving at your craft, toning your skills when you're not at the rink? When I'm not at the rink, um,
0: I think it's something that people might look at and, and be like, well, how do you really, you know, how do you practice? Like, is, is there even such a thing as practice? Uh, how do you stay sharp? And I don't know if this is, uh, I don't call it a conventional method, but it's something that I do because I used to do it as a kid, but. I have NHL twenty on my Xbox. I I mute the commentary and I just I'll get in the zone and I'll go. Uh, I put on like just you know a gaming headset. Uh, my brother has one, and I'll put that on to sort of <laughs> simulate it <laughs> even more. And uh, close my bedroom door so that way you know my sister is doing online high school a couple rooms down. So I try and not scream or or get too loud, but basically just try and simulate it like I'm at a game and I just try and go. Uh, I'll even go as far as coming up with, a, I take like a notebook and I'll just sort of scribble down like some quick notes on some players. So I'll do like Bruins versus Maple Leafs. The Bruins side I'm pretty good on, but for the Leafs I'll jot down a couple quick notes on, you know, Freddie Anderson, Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, a couple other players. To just sort of simulate like talking points for for a broadcast if I was calling, you know, a Bruins Maple Leafs game. And, um, yeah, it might be kind of awkward or it might be a little, you know, strange to the outside person. But, I mean, for me, it's about the best simulation that, you know, I can get in terms of if I can't get to a rink, you know, whether it's for work or... Even just to like, you know, sit in the stands a couple bleachers up and, and watch a game and call a little bit of it. I used to do that when I would go to Bruins games. Um, and again, it's, it's unconventional stuff. It, it might look strange to, to people who are on the outside, but I kind of just learned really quickly that, hey, if it works, if it works and if you get positive things out of it and can notice, you know, things from it. Um, you know, things to improve. I, I'll write stuff down. Like, oh, I don't like that call at all. Why would I like Why would I choose that verb? Or why would I, you know, why would I inflect here? Or you know, change my tone here? I think as long as you're getting stuff like that out of it, it doesn't really matter the method. As, as long as you're you're feeling it work and getting stuff out of it. Um, and I've done a lot of that throughout the course of this um, this pandemic. Uh, obviously, being at home. With rinks being closed uh, um, and and obviously not you know being in work currently, that's really been the best avenue I've got, um, and it's and it's worked. So I just roll with
1: it. I wish I still had a video game system. That would give me so much help right now. <laughs> it's been a good way to kill time. It
0: really has, uh, and it feels like it feels like I'm able to get stuff out of it. Uh, I try and go over stuff. I have a lot of material like on my computer from from past years, and um, I've been able, obviously, I've been missing Franklin Pierce a lot and both of our teams a lot, so I've been going back, just reliving some old memories, and while also getting that nostalgia fill, I'm also kind of going back and listening to how I'm sounding and and things I like, things I, I don't like, things I feel I've improved on, things that I still need to work on, uh, that's been great help too, and I would encourage anybody to always be doing that. Uh, even if you think like, "Hey, this is a this is a playoff game from three or four years ago, or from my sophomore year," uh, I don't want to listen to that. Oh, that's, that's garbage. I think you'd be surprised, uh, and I and I think that you would find that hey, there's some things here that actually I'm doing well for a sophomore, and that's impressive. And I feel confidence is such an important thing. And during this pandemic, I mean, God, have I ever? I've definitely had my struggles. I mean. I see my college degree every morning and sometimes I'm like, oh man, did I <clears throat> did I make a mistake here And it's like you know sometimes you got to remind yourself, hey, hey hey like you have the skills like hey you've got some stuff you've got things that you can offer but it's a little it's tough right now it's looking a little bleak and you just have to get through it and I think exercises like that you know if you stay if you stay sharp and if you stay you know on top of it when it does open back up when things do get, you know quote unquote back to normal i kind of don't like that phrase but you know when we get back to that you know way of life again where we can you know go out you know, go out really and do stuff um and pursue things and pursue opportunity and and all that uh you got to be ready to roll and so that's what i've been trying to do um in this sort of layoff that i've had is just be ready um be committed be sharp and just you know look out for yourself and and that's really all you can do. You know, there's only so much we can do. So that's been kind of my, my way of not only, you know, staying on top of my skills as a broadcaster and communicator and, you know, media personnel, but also just as like a person trying to get through (laughs) these crazy times that we're in.
1: Besides hockey, what do you think your favorite sport to call is?
0: I would have to say basketball. Um, And to be honest with you, I would say outside of hockey at Franklin Pierce, some of my, some of my more fonder moments have definitely come on basketball broadcasts. I've done more color commentary for basketball than I have done play-by-play, but my senior year I was able to do two um, women's basketball games for play-by-play. And to get that experience of, of trying to get another sport under my belt where I can feel confident enough to uptake it, if an opportunity did present itself like if i got offered like a like a freelancing gig to hey this school needs a basketball commentator i would feel confident enough to say oh yeah i can step in and do that i don't think i'm you know nca division 1 caliber or nba caliber obviously but if it was like for a high school game or or like a division 2 or division 3 college game i think like i gain that confidence in being able to, to do it. A lot of it is just, it it's just made, like preparation, You're just really feeling, you know, that you not only know what you need to know in terms of, of players and teams and, and trends and stats and narratives, but just also like the X's and O's of it, like to just have a real basic, you know, understanding of, okay, I know the game from a basic enough level to know, you know, situational stuff, fouls, you know, uh certain you know gestures from the raft like what indicates what because it's things like that that if you don't know those aspects of it it can shoot your confidence down the tubes and it'll just expose you uh in the end when people actually go and, and watch you and listen to you so basketball was one of those sports where I really wanted to try and develop some semblance of like confidence that and, and ability that I could do it and uh I was just I was just glad that um uh, I was able to get those opportunities at Franklin Pierce. Obviously, like bigger schools, it might be harder to come by, especially if you're going to like a Division I uh, institution. So I was just glad that it gave me the opportunity there to to try all different sports. I think in the end, I was involved on a broadcast for just about every single sport that we had at Franklin Pierce. So I think just that overall experience in general was the
1: wealthiest thing I could have taken away from that school. I, I got so much out of it my nsn job is really rewarding because last year i did 10 different sports but they assigned me to a lot of basketball and i really thought i was getting a hang of it by the end i'd had some experience before but i think i called some on the court not not the broadcast but on the court some classic games i think
0: that's one of those things like you never you never uh you never know how good you're gonna be unless you give yourself a shot at it and and I think as long as you're showing up with that kind of good attitude, and you do your basic your basic homework really, and and have the knowledge you need to have, you you'd be surprised. Uh, the comfort zone is a hard thing to break out of. I I have had that experience, but I know for a fact that if I never did break out of it, if I remain sort of timid and nervous and and all that. I would not have been able to accomplish the things I would accomplish, would have accomplished, and I, I wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be where I am currently right now. Uh, I, I that it's a it's a hard thing to do, but if you're able to do it, and if you do take that sort of step with it, um, you'd be surprised. Uh, and I know I was. I, I definitely surprised myself uh, over the course of, of those four years, like I never would have thought I would be doing you know basketball, play by play or football color commentary at the NCAA Division II level, uh, and yet there I sort of was. And <laughs> uh, I look back at it, and it's, it's definitely something that I'm proud of, uh, and I've been able to build off of it. And that's really you know the goal going forward is I, I definitely want to stick with hockey and make sort of my, my pathway there. But if opportunities ever do present themselves uh, in other sports, which is always a possibility, uh, I want to make sure that you know I'm ready to to throw my hat in the ring for for those as well.
1: Last question. Obviously, the goal for anyone in our position is the NHL. But have you had any time to come up with a somewhat formalized plan internally on the steps you want to take to get there? I think uh, obviously something
0: that I, I've always kind of kept to myself is that, and it's it's cliche. It's not you know my own thing, but everybody's got their own their own path um i think you just go down the list uh when anybody shares their experience um sometimes people might conflate that with oh i'm doing something wrong and i know that that was something i struggled with uh you know when we would have guys uh pierce we have a lot of alums at espn um working you know a lot of the behind the scenes work a lot of the production work but we do have a lot of alums there and we would oftentimes have them come speak to us and that's always you know it's always a great experience but I oftentimes would find myself saying, oh, man, like, I'm not proficient in things like, you know, photo editing or photography or, oh, maybe, like, I'm not as good of a writer as him, so I won't get a job at ESPN. Or, it's just like, if he like, like, oh, am I taking, you know, the right steps? Uh, if I'm not doing what they're doing, then will I make it? And, and I think that that's, that's, you know, slippery slope and you get, you get stuck. In so I have to make sure that I, I do fall into that. I would always tell myself, Lean the positive things, you know, listen and, and take advice when it comes your way. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it's your path. Uh, you, you're going to take, you know, maybe different steps than other people. But if you believe, you know, in yourself and, and, and are constantly improving and constantly, you know, doing the right things, you're going to get somewhere. Um, it might, you might not, it might not be the NHL and, and there's never any guarantees. So I, I would, you know, love a job in the NHL for any of the 31, soon to be 32 teams. um, It's an elite club to be a part of. But if it, you know, that doesn't mean if I don't get to the NHL that it was all for nothing or that I failed or that, um, you know, it wasn't worth it because I've already gotten so much out of it. It's been an incredible experience. And so with that all in mind, I just, I try and stay positive. Um, and, and I try and just look at how I can, you know, chart my own course. And basically the EHL, I looked at it as, okay, the Tier 3 uh, Junior Hockey League. Um, so that obviously means that there are higher tiers, Tier 2, Tier 1. And so my goal is to is just, just try and map it out where if I'm starting in Tier 3, then maybe a good goal to have is to try and get at least to, to Tier 1 in X amount of time. Or to, you know maybe try and get out of junior hockey, try and see if I can, you know, maybe work for um, a school or for uh, some sort of small, maybe local or regional network. Or um, I know there's like a lot of college hockey games that get broadcasted on nesting and things like that. Uh, so it's like sort of looking at, at how did the game develop from the ground up? I, I mean, I played it, and I had I had my own aspirations of, you know, going to college and trying to play. So I think about it, you know, you're a hockey player, you go play, you know, you play high school, then you go play juniors, then you go play in college, then maybe you go play, you know, overseas or in a uh, semi-pro league or, you know, you're in the Southern Professional League, uh, ECHL, then you maybe get to the AHL, then maybe you spend the rest of your time in the AHL. Some guys don't even get that far. So I just try and think of, like, that sort of forward progression. Like, hey, if I get a job in juniors, Work, you know, work diligently there. Try and move my way up. Then maybe I get a job in the ECHL. Work my way up. Um, if
1: I'm not mistaken, uh, is it Everett Fitz, Fitz, uh, Fitzhugh? Fitzhugh, Fitzhugh, yeah. Yes, uh, he was working in, in Cincinnati for the Cyclones, and now
0: obviously he is going to be the the, play, the first you know play-by-play voice of, of the Kraken, first African American play-by-play broadcaster in the NHL as well. If I'm also correct on that, so I looked at it as. That's that sort of progression. You know, if you get to a league like the ECHL or the AHL, and you know you already got so far, that takes a lot of work. That's not something to discredit. And then from there, you know, you just try and make more connections. Obviously, working in the AHL, you kind of set yourself up to be a pretty good candidate for when an NHL job, you know, could open up. And I think that's how I would look at it. So. My goal in the long run is obviously like you said, everybody's, of course, is to get to the NHL. But I think I try and look at it as, hey, currently I'm in the EHL, tier three junior hockey, and and for now I, I'm gonna focus on that and, and work at that and work at trying to be, you know, one of the best that I can be in that league and then, you know, look for another opportunity. Um, I've applied to like AHL jobs, uh OHL jobs, like jobs that might kind of seem a little bit out of the wheelhouse for somebody with maybe, quote unquote, not as much experience. But I try and look at it as, hey, I think I actually have more experience than some people might think. And I don't want to, you know, discredit myself out of any opportunity. So I just kind of send it. <laughs> I, 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 I try and just be the best, you know, professional version of myself and the best version of myself. And I, I've applied to, you know, the Henderson Silver Knights, uh, Bridgeport Sound Tigers are looking for somebody. Uh, the Flint Firebirds are currently looking for somebody, and those are those are jobs that might seem a little bit out there. But I look at it as, hey, that's how you kind of move yourself up the ladder. You got to try and pursue some of those bigger fish that are out there, and uh, that's basically how I'm trying to tackle the next, you know, upcoming opportunities. Just not sell myself short and to try and just, in whatever I go after,
1: be confident that um, I have a shot at it, that it's realistic. All right, Tyler, I've taken up almost an hour of your time. Thank you for coming on. Nice to talk again, and good luck in your job search. Jake, it's always a pleasure, my man, and thanks for having me. That was my good buddy, Tyler Orrego, most recently of the main Eclipse. Thanks to him for coming on. I hope you all liked the interview as much as I did. I've had some shorter episodes as of late, so I'm glad we clocked in at almost an hour here. That'll do it for episode 45 of A Shot in a Goal. You can follow me on Twitter at JakeBaskinPXP. Next up, we have the great John Forslund, the newly minted TV voice of the Seattle Kraken. I will say, however, that that interview was conducted the day before it was publicly released, that he was getting the job, so that will not be covered on episode 46. Mike Murphy and Alexis Pearson to follow. See you next time.